0: Thanks so much for joining the Real Life Theology Podcast. We're excited to have you join us whether it's your first time or you've been listening in for a long time. In this episode, Jerry Harris of The Christian Standard talks about how Christians are not victims. He describes how Christ followers need to have hope and be people of hope. He teaches on the fear that can come with churches losing people, and the temptation to turn from God's word to cater to people, staying at your church or keeping people. He talks a lot about hope and how Christians need to have hope in a dark world, and how we are lights in this dark world. Let's go and listen into what Jerry has to say.
1: Uh, in in your packet, you had a book. Uh, I had a couple of books. One of them I put in there, and that was uh, Master Plan of Evangelism. And that was from, I think, 1962. And, uh, uh, you know, Billy Graham wrote the, the preface to it or the foreword to it. And uh, number, I don't know how many years ago it's been. Uh, uh, Jim Putman, who's speaking here at this thing, he wanted to do a book. He was looking for somebody to do it with him. And, uh, and I mentioned, how about Robert Coleman? And they all kind of looked at each other. These guys were talking. Like, is, he, is he even alive? <laughs> and uh, and uh, I said, well, let me try. I'll try, to, I'll try to track him down. And so I made some phone calls, left some messages. And like two weeks later, I get this thing on my phone and I go, I, I wonder. And I hit the, uh, the button on my phone and it was Robert Coleman. And uh, he ended up writing this Disciple Shift book with, with Jim Putman uh but what an incredible man and uh incredible man he's got one of those voices i don't know maybe it's just kind of an old school thing but he had one of those preacher voices that no no like you felt like you were almost talking to god voices like a radio voice that's like a really big voice and he's he's like six six and a real a, a chalk of you know white hair. He's you know he's in his nineties now. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, just just kind of a, a big presence. Uh, got a kind of a James Earl Jones type of voice and and uh, but I mean, just an incredible man. And and that book. I mean, if we're talking about discipleship, it's kind of a seminal work. It's kind of it, it's a precursor to everything else. So I thought you could. You might enjoy that. And then the other book that was written by Dr. Young is Resilient, which is what this is being named after. And they asked me to be one of the guys that, you know, they endorse endorse the book. And uh, and so I did. And, you know, I read it. And uh, it was a very informative book. And uh, in many ways, a very powerful book, especially in the early chapters. and, And I don't know if you've read it yet. But when you do, I think that you'll see that, that kind of on the front end, he has a really good way of shaping the problem, like shaping the argument. And uh, really appreciated what he, what he had to say. But when I got through with it, it kind of left me in a, in a place. And uh, that place would be like uh, when it feels like you're going into the locker room about 89 points down. At halftime, you know, and uh, I don't know, I I think a lot of us might feel that way. And so uh, that's, at at the time when I was asked to do this, I said, you know, I think that's what I want to talk about. So here's just one little piece of that book I'm going to open up with. So in God's story, we learned that even in our persecution, God is at work. He uses our sufferings to refine us, as fire refines gold. He quotes First Peter one six to nine. He uses our trials to produce character in us, James one two to four, and he invites us to join when we uh, rejoice when we suffer, because our suffering allows us to share in the very nature of Christ, who also suffered. 1 Peter four thirteen, and if we share in the sufferings of Christ. We will also share in the glory of Christ, Romans 8, 17. The persecutions we face are part of a cosmic war between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And the forces of good led by King Jesus are going to win. The trials facing the people of God across the world are just the birth pains of new creation about to emerge, Romans 8, 19-22. So in order to get into a good place, I have to die. And that does not make me feel good. I don't know about you, but it's kind of like, OK, I really love the book, but it was it was it was a great statement of the problem. And the idea, the, the solution kind of part of the book was just hang in there. At the end, we win, you know, when everything is collapsing, you know, we'll we'll emerge. And uh, that's the part of the book I really don't agree with. And I think it's because we get just too fixated and focused on negative things. So honestly, I do love the book. I endorse the book. But I see a lot more on the horizon than I read in this book, that book. So uh, I'm taking a big risk by saying, by using an illustration of South Park. (laughs) (laughs) Some of you I've just connected with for life. Some of you are going, he's an apostate. Um, So they made fun. They make fun of everything. But they made fun of how people portray themselves. This has kind of been viral on, on different media platforms. But uh, one of the characters in South Park's named Kyle. And uh, he's trying to reinvent himself. And so a branding agency tells Kyle how to do that. How to identify his brand. And he, they keep giving him four things to identify his brand. And I wrote down the ones that I saw. Sensitive, outdoorsy, frugal, victim. <laughs> and, you know, uh, Kyle didn't like that. So he, they, they went back to the agency, thick skin, super cool, nothing bothers him, victim. <laughs> then he didn't like that one either. So they go, okay, how about this one? Wealthy, handsome, multi-talented, Grammy award-winning, victim. <laughs> we are not victims. Just Let's just stop it. It seems like everybody is in some sort of a competition to determine who's the biggest victim. And we need to stop it. We need to stop that. We're not victims. We're not victims. And if there's anything we should learn from God's word, it's that that we're not victims. But okay, I say that. I'm standing up here and I'm a total hypocrite. Because I'm saying that to you, and sometimes I feel exactly that way, and I would imagine that sometimes you feel exactly that way and uh i'm sixty three years old, yeah, I'm old dude, and uh well okay, okay, and I've done a lot of things in ministry, and I don't need to tell you my bio, you can read that I think, and whatever but but uh sometimes I feel like uh, the things that I feel so deeply doesn't resonate with younger generations. And I see this nonstop indoctrination to move American culture away from those things to embrace new ideas about things like sexual identity, historical identity, national identity, social identity, civility, so many other things. And then I kind of get caught up in this loop as someone mourning the good old days but I can't help but believe that there's so much that's been broken and lost. And the thought of anything hopeful kind of feels like a pipe dream. So a, while, a couple a few months ago, there was this thing happening in Wilmore, Kentucky. Uh, and, and you all heard about it. It was Asbury Revival. And uh, you know, a whole lot of people were appropriating it, you know, it was like. It like started out this this just a group of kids that didn't want to leave chapel service, and by the way, you know, uh, Asbury University is a, a, is connected to United Methodist Church and Wesleyan Church, which is really not. A, I mean, you know, the, the, they're fighting right now about which churches are going to leave the denomination because of their stand on identity issues. I mean, it's happened hundreds of churches petitioning courts to do this kind of thing. And uh, so I published I publish Christian Standard. And, uh, and I thought this is a really good story. And uh, I, I called my editor. He lives in, in uh, Louisville, which is not that far from Lexington, about an hour's drive. And I said, Hey, Mike, would you go down there and uh, we'll pay for your hotel and your, uh, you know, whatever it costs to get down there and do a story? He goes, Interesting. I'm talking to you. I'm driving home from there right now. Like you were there. He goes, Oh, yeah. He go, and I go, so, he goes, it's real. It's real. So I called a friend that ministers with me where I am in uh, western Illinois. And I said, hey, do you want to go? He goes, interesting. I'm on my way home right now. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Like there were two, two the first two people I thought about. And then I uh, asked a third person who's actually here at the Renew Conference. Uh, and he had been a student back in the early 70s at uh at Asbury I go you want to go he goes sure I'll go so I went by the time I got there uh it had already kind of become viral uh, really viral and uh the line to get into the chapel was a half a mile long four people wide now if you were a if you were a college student they had a special line because it was for them really wasn't for us, but like I said, there was a lot of there were people out there, uh, like Tucker Carlson called and wanted to have a film crew there. Uh, Carrie Job wanted to sing at it, and they told her, "No. it lo- was just really interesting what was going on? And uh, uh, they weren't taking offerings. There wasn't any kind of a money thing, but they would, if you wanted to donate to help them, you could. And so our church did something like that because they were renting all these uh, portable bathrooms. Wilmore, Kentucky's like three thousand people. It's a little tiny town, uh, and uh, uh, and it, it had outgrown the chapel where at at, at uh, Asbury and uh, all the churches, regardless of what the sign's name was out front, opened their churches and they uh, they simulcast it. Now, when I that sounds really technical, basically they had a, a feed, which was one camera, and where I was sitting, they put a uh they put a, a cheap uh projector on a chair and shined it on the wall. And I remember there was one guy up there because people were praying and stuff, and he was praying with a couple and he put his rear end right in the place where it was. Like, so, and then every, about, about every three or four minutes, it would buffer and you're singing. And then all of a sudden you have to stop or you don't stop singing because it's buffering. People would just keep singing and then it would quit buffering. You'd be right there where it was. And I mean, it was absolutely amazing in a lot of different ways. It was great how the faculty protected it. So it stayed a student thing. And there was a lot of things that touched me in that. There was a lot of confession, confession. A lot of people being really honest about what was going on in their lives and what they were asking God to do. I think one of the things that really hit me was they would have scripture reading. And so there would be a line, maybe 20 long of students that, and they didn't, they didn't expound on anything. They just wanted to read a particular scripture. And they would, and the president of the college was standing there. And by the way, it was the lousiest service you would ever go to. The music was terrible. The preaching was not that great. Uh, they had no lighting, special lighting. They had none of all the bells and whistles lots of churches had. None of that. And it didn't matter. It just didn't matter. And that was it, that was, you know, it's kind of like heart of the heart of worship song. You know, it's like when all stripped away and I simply come. That was what was happening. And and they had these kids and they were they would get in these lines to read scripture. And the president of the college was standing there, and they would come up, and, and one of the students would just hold his Bible, and he would read this, you know. And a lot of them were weeping when they were doing that, you know. And they, they would read that scripture, and then the the, uh, the the president would go, "This is the word of God," and then everybody in the whole everywhere would say, "And we believe it." Amen. And then the next one would come up and read a scripture. And then the president would go, this is the word of God. And they would all go, and we believe it. And it was over and over and over again. And I think different people that went to that were maybe looking for different things or maybe they were surprised by different things. But in in my heart, hold on, in my heart, I was feeling kind of like Elijah under the broom tree. Where Elijah tells God, I've been so zealous for you, and I'm the only one left. <laughs> you know, and then when he finally gets to the cleft in the rock, God goes, "I have seven thousand that haven't bowed the knee to Baal." You know, because I was feeling really pretty negative about Gen Z, and they were all Gen Z, and they were and and they were hungry, loving the Word of God, and. Uh, and being open and honest about their relationship with God, and they've been praying about it a long time, and they didn't want you know, eventually they had to quit because they the reason the revival ended was because it so overran Wilmore, Kentucky that they just couldn't manage it anymore you know and and hopefully it 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 goes you know just keeps kind of moving out, but the reason I was there, the reason that that God put circumstances in the position that he did was because I needed help. Mm-hmm. I needed help and I just think I think you do too. Mm-hmm. I think we all do. You said you had hit your hand. I was just going to say didn't it start with like two or three students and then, a group and then? Yeah, they just didn't leave so the chapel. They just didn't leave the chapter chapel service was over, they just stayed. Yeah. And then they just stayed longer. Yeah. And then people said, "Well, where's so and so, well, let's go over there see what's going on." And they stayed. You know the fact is, ever since 1972, I think, or something like that, Asbury's been praying for revival to break out again. That they kind of, you know, they believe in that. It helped me to to be reminded that there is such a thing as hope, and that when you see revival, that that's hopeful. When you see repentance, that's hopeful. When you see confession, that's hopeful. When you see obedience to God and His Word, that's hopeful. And that's really what happened in that. So, um, I know this, you know this, right? Um, the smallest amount of God and His Word and His Holy Spirit is so much more powerful than any of the idols of this world. And the idols of this world demand worldly acceptance. And uh, and we don't have to follow that. Uh God's word is true. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It stood the test of time and has done it for thousands of years regardless of the culture. And there's been plenty of cultures and our culture isn't the most enlightened. But on the other hand, culture has very little or any shelf life. You realize that? Like, How, how long is it before culture expires? like the milk in your refrigerator, or, you know what I'm saying? Culture changes all the time. It's so temporary, it's so disposable, but God's Word is not that way. Culture wants this generation to be known as the generation of anxiety, the generation of depression, even death, death by suicide. But God can and will speak life into our generation. And I want to give you some reasons I believe that. Not just that revival. I just kind of wanted to open up with that. But uh, there's a a guy who writes for for the magazine that I publish. Um, He uh, wrote an article here recently. I don't even know if it's been uh, printed yet. That uh, across our nation, so if you're talking about America, churchgoers are leaving denominational churches. And denominational churches are leaving denominations. And what's happening is the non-denominational churches are booming right now. Uh, between t- 2010 and 2020, non-denom- non-denominational churches expanded by 2 million attendees. 9,000 more congregations. That was according to 2020 religion census. They are now the third largest uh, constituted group, religious group in America after... Catholics, and Southern Baptists. 8,000 churches chose to unaffiliate and become non-denominational. And another 2,000 are considering it. And that was in 2015. Um, Why is that that valuable? Well, I think as people are moving toward a more non-denominational point of view, what they're doing is they're saying, we want the Word of God. that that we want to stand firm and stand true to to these things that are truly spiritual in nature. And uh, the seven pillars of the denominational churches, United Methodist Church, American Baptist Church, the Episcopal Church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the United Church of Christ, Presbyterian Church USA, and the Disciples of Christ. From 2000, to 2016, all seven of those mainline denominational churches. So when you say mainline denominational, they have all been in decline. Uh, United Methodist, 16.66%. American Baptist, 19.31%. Episcopal Church, 25.21%. Uh, ELCA, that's Evangelical Lutheran. United Church of Christ, 36.08%. Presbyterian Church USA, 41.28%. And the Mac Daddy of them all used to be part of our streams of the Restoration Movement. The Disciples of Christ, 49.88%. They have lost half of their half of their constituents from 2000 to 2016. If you go back to like 1965 to now, it's a, it is astounding. And I don't think that they're going to last very many more decades. On the other hand, churches that are taking a biblical, lo- looking at things from a biblical point of view and a biblical worldview, it's altogether different. So those things that Ben Kachera shared... That that I just shared with you, that was all pre-pandemic. Imagine what's happening post-pandemic, to those. And that's really kind of at the root of who we are, because you know we were called the Stone Campbell Movement. That they left the, the denominational church because they wanted to be able to express uh, their faith unencumbered by the denominational bonds and the things that they had to agree to in order to be a part of that. Right. So it's still happening. Uh, today, um, so there are these polling agencies like uh, Gallup, like Barna. You read that stuff? It's horrible. Every time you read it, everybody's leaving the church. There's nobody, there's nobody. We can't build them fast enough. You think all that's true? You buying into all that? So uh, all they keep saying is that that we're living in this hopeless post-Christian culture where the church is constantly losing ground. And I'll tell you what, they kind of use that as an underpinning for you need to like adjust what you think about the Bible, adjust that to our culture. And, and, And if you do that, things will be better. The reason I told you about those seven pillars of denominational churches, they started doing that in the 60s. And some of them aren't going to exist in another 20 years. In the Bible, there's a different metaphor for that, and that is losing your lampstand. Because the power of the church is in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we understand what truth is from the Word of God. And we have to stick to the Word of God because that's where the blessing is. That's where the power is. That's like that's like having a lamp and being upset that it won't light up when you don't plug it in. Doesn't make any sense. So, a 2020 Gallup poll declared that the average American church, uh, the churchgoers that went to the uh, American church, average American church, had dropped below 50% for the first time in 80 years. Kerry Newhoff, a lot of people looked to him as a Futurist, shared a recent Barna Stadia poll that stated 30% less Gen Z attend church than baby boomers. Another Barna study informed us the number of actual partici- par- practicing Christians has dropped 8 points from 43 to 35% between 2000 and 2020. Lifeway research reported that while 3,000 churches were planted in 2019, 4,500 closed. And I could go, go on and on listing stuff that's just nothing but dismal news in about every available category. And then you, when you take all of that and you stack COVID-19 on it and then what that inflicted on the church, I think people can really get downhearted. And they can lose hope. And they can dismiss any kind of optimism. But what if I showed you something completely different? So... The Christian Standard, Christian Standard Magazine, goes all the way back to 1866. Okay? Uh, and uh, about 1998, or it was ni- 1998, they published their first megachurch list, way before Outreach Magazine did. And uh, there were a certain amount of churches on that list. And uh, they, what they did was they showed how many over 1,000, because back then they didn't have church a lot of churches over 1,000. And I think there were 53 on that list, and it was a comprehensive list. Well, you know, we still compile that. So I looked at the number from 2018. So from 1998 to 2018, so over a 20-year over a period, how did we do? How did independent Christian churches do? How did Restoration Movement churches do in our, in our stream, right? How did we do? Well, this is how we did we multiplied by 2.68 times just from that list. All I did was I compared that list in those churches then to now. There were like ninety ninety three thousand 93,000 people that were going to those 53 churches. And then as I compared it 20 years later, it was like 267,000. And then I looked at churches that were less than 1,000 that were in 1998, that are over 2,000 in 2018, and then it went up to like three and a half times. Three and a half times. Now, I don't know if you you know how well you deal with math, but has anybody told you that the restoration movement has grown by three and a half times its size in 20 years? Oh, no, no, no. We don't talk about that, do we? Here's here's another one. Well, what about... that? Maybe that's attendance because people like to, you know. Baptisms, same number. Same number. Three and a half times. We have 241 baptisms for our church. Yeah. Yeah. So, really? We're not... We're not baptizing people. People are leaving in droves. Don't be, no young people are coming to church anymore. We're losing, losing, losing. No, you're not. No, you're not. Maybe if you're part of churches that are stepping away from following the word of God, the will of God, and the spirit of God, maybe then you know, and when they when they want to pile us all into that group, they bring us all down. But that's not happening. That's not happening in our reality. You can have hope. You can have hope. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a lead pastor at New Hope Christian Church in Houston, Texas, named Tim List, and went to school together, and he says that it's nothing short of amazing what God's doing in our churches. It's fair to say that in the 20-year period, while many other churches and denominations have been in decline, a, a... a large segment of independent Christian churches were increasing and experiencing nothing short of a renaissance. I wrote an article on it called Invisible Renaissance. Nobody wants to talk about the good stuff, but this is good stuff. When you're baptizing thousands of people and when you are seeing more and more people fill into our churches and we have to build churches over and over planting and, and, and helping church, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. I could spend more time on this. I grew up in a time because I am 63 years old, where there was a lot of sectarianism. Okay, there was just uh you know, like with like here you got the independent Christian churches and then you got the non instrumental churches of Christ. And I didn't even know that there was a subset of the Church of Christ that was the African American churches of Christ. I didn't even know that. You know, and then you know we had this had the issue with it. Uh, ICOC years ago with Kip McKean and all that kind of stuff. You see all these streams. And let me tell you, we don't, it's like Ghostbusters. You know, we don't cross the streams. That's right. We don't do that. Hmm. And I, re- I was on the board of Solomon Foundation. And I remember when there was a church in, uh, I believe it was in, uh, in Louisiana, uh, pastor of African American Church of Christ and uh needed to build a building and he wasn't able to get financing and i was on the board and we decided hey we not only want to do that we want to dedicate 80 million dollars to do that and uh because we, we gotta we gotta get to know these guys and there was a guy who was in charleston south carolina and i made friends with him his name's david johnson And it has church there right downtown Charleston, South Carolina. And he started teaching me stuff. He started saying stuff to me. How many of you in this room are independent Christian church? And how many of you are Church of Christ? Uh, Okay. 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 So I'm talking to you guys. Okay. Especially. Okay. I went to Bible college. I got, you know, I got a degree from Bible college. I'm talking to David Johnson. He starts talking to me about Marshall Keeble. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Do you know who Marshall Keeble is? Oh my gosh! If I were to tell you in the restoration movement, there was a guy who by himself baptized forty five thousand people. should you know what his name is? Yes. that he started over three hundred churches? Should you know what his name is? Yeah, his name's Marshall keeble, and uh I didn't know who he was. I'd never heard of him, and David Johnson started to tell me about who he was, and I was just a I mean I love history. I was just and it wasn't I mean he died like in 68 I think 1968. And something occurred to me. Because we don't cross these streams, we don't know each other. And we don't share heritage. And we need to. So Davis talked to me about him and I start going, "Wow." And and he goes, so "You know, do you know how he did it?" Like he would go down and he he did most most of his ministry was in the south. He was uh, he was located in Nashville, Tennessee. And, and back then in the 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, a lot of sharecropping going on. And he would go down and preach and everybody that was of color would show up and he would preach a gospel message and they'd accept Christ. And a lot of them couldn't read. And Marshall would say, which one of you guys can read? And somebody raises his hand and goes, you're the preacher. <laughs> this is a true story. This is true story. Then he'd come back around, kind of like the Apostle Paul. He'd come back around and then he'd say, so how are you doing? And that's where they would establish elders. Okay? So I... There's two reasons I didn't know who Marshall Keeble was. One, he was Church of Christ. Two, he was black. I went to my Bible college president who's here. And I said, do you know who Marshall Keeble was? He goes, I've never heard of him. I've never been taught who he was. I did a lot of research on him. There's a picture of him sitting in a chair. He's got four guys sitting around him and uh, young guys, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old. And, uh, and uh, he called them his preacher boys. And the guy sitting uh, on his left, lower, is a man by the name of Fred Gray. Do you know who Fred Gray is? You guys are gonna. It's gonna be worth it for you to be here. We got some homework to do. That. Fred Gray is one of the most pivotal forces in the civil rights movement. So, and I don't have time to tell you all this, but 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 Fred Gray uh, was one of these preacher boys that went to the Nashville Christian Institute that that Marshall Keeble established for uh, for young African American kids that couldn't get an education, and 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 he decided he wanted. Uh, he saw segregation. He said, I want to destroy every kind of segregation I could find. And he couldn't get, you couldn't get a law degree in the South. So he had to go North to get his law degree. He came down and he set up a law office in Montgomery, Alabama. And he was like 24 years old. And uh, around the corner was, a, uh, was like a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a clothing store. And uh, there was a young lady there that worked in the clothing, clothing stores as a seamstress. That would have lunch, they're both single, have lunch with Fred Gray. Regularly, they would have lunch together. She served in the NAACP and asked, Mar- uh, asked uh, uh, Fred Gray, excuse me, Fred Gray, if, if he would help, if he would help her with the youth program there. Her name was Rosa Parks. Claudette Colvin got on a bus, little girl, they changed the, the bus schedule that day because they let the bus out early. And of course, buses were all segregated. Claudette Colvin was scared to leave her seat on a bus. And, and they arrested her and they took her down. And, and I mean, this 14, 15-year-old girl booked her in jail. And they called Fred Gray to, to get her out of jail. Fred Gray gets her out of jail. And they start talking about this. Like, what are we going to do about this? So they decide, they go to a lady whose, whose name's, last name's Robinson. They go to her... Uh, house. And they go, got well, we, we got to do something about this. And Fred Gray will tell you that that's how that whole thing happened with Rosa Parks. And uh, they were trying to figure out who'd be a spokesman because there were people like E.D. Nixon and some other people that were working on voting rights with regard to African-American community in Montgomery, Alabama. And Fred said, I can't, I can't lead this because they'll disbar me. And the lady that they're meeting in her house said, well, we got this new pastor He's only been here for a little while, just a few months, but he can move people with words. And that was Dr. Martin Luther King. And so he became the spokesman of what became the Montgomery Bus Boycott, which was supposed to last one day, and it ended up lasting 382 days. And, and Fred Gray became the lawyer that argued all of the cases that he lost all the way up to, every, to the Supreme Court. And that guy was a Church of Christ preacher the entire time. He was a lawyer. We don't even know it. We don't even know that the Restoration Movement played a big role in the civil rights movement through that man. So uh, I was doing I was doing a story I was doing a story on uh, Marshall Keeble that because David and then I found out this guy Fred, who this guy Fred Gray was I was like amazed and. And then we did a story on a guy named Andrew Hairston, who's a, uh, who's a judge in Atlanta. And I started to get, these are all Church of Christ people. And then um, I did this story on Andrew Hairston, who's friends with Fred Gray, who's still alive. And I said, man, I would sure love to do a story. I would love to interview Fred Gray. Well, he doesn't give interviews. But this guy that I'd worked with, with Andrew Hairston, said, well, let me see. Let me talk to him. And he calls me, Fred Gray calls me. He goes, I'm going to be speaking at Lipscomb University in Nashville. And I don't give interviews, but for some reason I just feel like I ought to. And he gave me an interview and I got to do an interview with Fred Gray, which was like an amazing, amazing thing a couple of years ago. You can read it. You can read all these stories on uh, ChristianStandard.com for free. I mean, you can just just go back and you'll see his picture on the front. And Anyway, absolutely amazing. Well, I, here's what I'm telling you. Is You are part of something that's really awesome. And and we need to be able to pull together. We need to be able to work together and learn from each other. And I mean, it takes a while to trust each other, you know. Uh, but it's absolutely incredible. I just had a meeting with uh, the president of Harding University, which is one of the more conservative Church of Christ universities. About 5,000 students. You know, his name's uh, Mark Williams. And he said... He goes, "We are all in. We are all in." I do I I I I was doing a thing cuz we raise up a, we don't have any way of getting new leaders because in the independent Christian church, I mean, the sum total of leaders for church ministry is was 408 last year. 408. It's not enough. It's not nearly enough. So that's not our leadership pipeline. So you know what churches are doing? They're raising people up internally. But a lot of those people, they have good social skills and communication skills, but they don't know the word. So how do we, how do we get them to know the word? You know, and what do they got to do? They got to uproot their family and they got to go to college somewhere and live in a dorm. What? I don't know. What do you do? Well, I'm trying to figure out how to create something. I go to ICOM, International Conference on Missions, and I'm introduced to a guy whose name is John Baxter. Uh, uh, whose dad was Batzel Barrett Baxter? He's kind of a well-known guy in Church of Christ, and they've had a university like this online for like 28 years. And I start, I start, you know, hitting him with questions like, uh, "How much?" You know, because I can't hire a guy this guy or a couple that has 150 thousand dollars of school, student debt. I can't, I can't pay him enough to cover their debt. This is like 450 bucks a quarter. How are you doing that? Anyway, I started asking him about this stuff. Church of Christ, not Christian church. And I went, this is, this is absolutely amazing. This is a great tool. This is, this is what happens when you open the stream, when you open some doors. You don't have to compromise your faith. You don't have to compromise the Word of God. And they're starting to learn about who we are. We're learning about who they are. Here's what I'm trying to say. This is one of the most exciting times to be in the church where where all this stuff is happening in culture. And if you let culture speak into your life, you're just letting Satan rain on your parade. You need to understand that there's good stuff going on right now. Really, really good stuff. Stuff that would never happen before. I was invited to go to Lipscomb. I was invited. Now, Now we're doing the thing with Harding. We've got the nation's university thing that's going on. I had the guy that started. He's like eighty-eight years old. I, I had. I wanted to have lunch with the president. I go. I'd like to meet this guy. His name is McLean. He was a he was a professor at Pepperdine and Abilene and all these other Church of Christ schools. And so I sat down. And we're just going to have lunch. And I'm th- and he starts <laughs> he starts interrogating me, yeah. and he does it for an hour, yeah. and I'm starting to get upset. Like, you know, what do you think about the instrument? What, do you, what, uh, uh, what, t- what style of preaching do you have? And, and, uh, and it keeps going. And I'm starting to get upset. And You know what he said? After all that for an hour? He goes, would you be on my board of regents? <laughs> when in the world has the Church of Christ ever asked an independent Christian church person to be on their board of regents? You tell me that the Holy Spirit's not going on doing something. You know, what we were designed to be was a unity movement. Mm-hmm. And we are, and, and you know, we, we can get all caught up in our own little worlds and we build our walls and we miss it. And I don't want us to miss it. I don't want us to miss it. Amen. Allison, you tell me when I've got to be done because I'm having too much fun. She's saying, time, <laughs> It's time to be done. Oh, okay. Because you need to have the opportunity to ask questions. There are tons of reasons to celebrate tons of reasons to celebrate you think things are bad they're not as bad as you think and if you could see what he sees if you could see what God sees you would see something completely different there are churches these non-denominational churches all over and they believe what we believe they just don't have a tribe they don't have a group that they can say you know Let's help each other out. They're kind of just out there doing it. <laughs> I met a guy. I met a guy who 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 started a church in Milwaukee. Uh incredible guy. African American guy. His dream, he's a he was a barber by trade and he wanted to cut the hair of all the Milwaukee bucks. Uh-huh. And he's really really good at it. And uh Uh, His his name's Ken Locke, if you want to look him up. His name's Ken Locke. And uh, he doesn't have... He just started doing church. And they wouldn't let him cut the hair uh, uh, of... uh, Excuse me. He wanted to be the chaplain of the Milwaukee Bucks. And they wouldn't let him be the chaplain of the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, then he started cutting their hair. and And he was so good at it, and they all liked him. And how would you like to be the chaplain of the Milwaukee Bucks? So you cut hair. Well, then he... He utilized that as a platform to start to build a church. He built a church. It grew so fast he could. It was like running two thousand in six months. And I'm having I'm having dinner with him at, a, at at an event, and and he's and he's like, I didn't know that there were other people who believe like I believe, like I read the Word of God. That's what I see, and I see this other this whole this whole tribe of people that believe what I believe, and it's just so exciting. And so if we could open our eyes, you know, and kind of get outside of all of our little things I've seen this happen with the ICOC, the International Church of Christ. Same thing. Talk to a guy named Reese Nealand, he's who's here and, and speaking. He goes all the way back to Gainesville. All the way back to the inception of it. And uh and you know, talking to him because we've done some articles. Like I'm friends with Daryl Reed, you know, and uh some other guys that are in that movement. And uh, Will Archer, and uh, and uh, you know they've written for us in Christian Standard, and some people who've been hurt in the past, you know, particularly in like Cincinnati or Chicago, they're like, no, no, no. What's that mean? Time be done? No, I was you were one of those, yeah. And they were like, hey, no, no, time out. Can't do that. I go, hey, anybody need grace? That's anybody need some grace? And I see Renew trying to do that. And we, we got to be people, We got you know, we, we don't need to have a compromise on truth, but we need to be people of grace. One of the guys that serves on this board, I know, one of these people, guys that serves on the board of regents with me at Nations University is a, not, a guy by the name of Mike Kellett. And you probably don't know who he is, but he co-pastors a church in West Monroe, Louisiana, with another guy named Alan Robertson. And you might have heard of him because he's part of the Duck Dynasty family. Because you've probably heard of those guys, right? And you know what? what he, and he's, he's, you know, old, he's kind of an old school Church of Christ guy. goes all the way back, you know, and he goes, you know what we learned? We were really, really good on truth. But we had a problem when it came to grace. Yeah. God is opening these doors. While culture is pushing us apart, the Holy Spirit's pulling us together. Yeah. And I say, this is a really good time. This is an exciting time. So you can, hear, you can read all that stuff about everything culture's doing and you're in a battle. Sure, we are always being in a b- battle. But we're not going to be losers right up until the time we win. We're winning right now. And I want you to get your heads out of the lower story and get them up into the upper story. Because that's where He is. That's where God is. And everything's going to be all right. And God's going to give you what you need to win.
0: Really great content from Jerry Harris. We thank you, Jerry, for providing this content and for speaking at our national gathering this last year. If you want more content like this, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and also go on to Renew.org and grab your 2023 national gathering tickets. That way you can come in person, experience a Renew national gathering, and hopefully enjoy and be blessed by a lot of great content that can help your ministry today.